Welcome to the number one podcast covering Michigan State basketball. The Final Four is not in the schedule. Join Rod and me, Eric, as we dive deep into the Spartans to get you prepared for every game. Subscribe today for in-depth recruiting updates and fantastic interviews with today's important college basketball personalities like Robbie Hummel. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I have listened to your guys' podcasts numerous times on drives throughout any Midwestern Big Ten city, so I, I am big fans of your guys' work. Jay Billis. And next time, hey, if anybody in Michigan wants a December tea time, call me. You wimps won't show up, but I'll I'll be there. I'll be there and play in the cold. And Izzo will be in front of the fire with hot chocolate. Coaches Thomas Kelly. Oh, no problem. Glad to be back, man. Glad to be back. Mike Garland. You just can't sit there and trade twos for threes. You can't do it. You're gonna lose. Coming down the stretch, you're gonna lose. And more. You won't find better coverage of Spartan Hoops than you will get here. For both the casual and hardcore fan, come along as we take you for a green and white ride. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod here to talk about MSU's next home game against the Ohio State Buckeyes. After the Spartans' disappointing and frankly miserable performance Tuesday against Iowa, they will try and bounce back and get a little momentum before heading to West Lafayette and a terrifying date with the first place Boilermakers. Of course, first up in this game is against the Buckeyes, which have been very disappointing yet again this year. They are a team that many were high on everyone's list, even including Rod, who was tricked once again and projected them <laughs> to finish third in the Big Ten, where they'll be lucky to finish third from last <laughs> this season. The Buckeyes are 15 to 15, 5 and 11 uh, in the Big sure. 10. They're 67th in both Ken Palm and yeah. the Net, uh, which is, again, as I mentioned, a very disappointing season, which has ended up in Chris Holtman uh, losing his job midway about a week ago now. So the Bucks will be coached by assistant and interim coach Jake Diebler, who I believe was on the team, what, 10 years ago or five years ago? It doesn't seem like that, that was long. His, that was his brother. Oh, it was his brother. Okay. That was, that was John Diebler. There you go. Okay. Uh, sticking with the recent pattern for Ohio State, the Buc- Buckeyes are 35th in offense, 125th in defense. On offense, they've done a good job valuing the ball at 53rd in turnover percentage. They've rebounded okay at 86th and have shot free throws at a 76.6% clip, which is pretty good. But they don't get there a whole lot. Um, they're uh, 188th in free throw attempts. they also not a very good three-point shooting team at 33.7%, which puts them at only 152 uh, from two, and then from two, they're 152nd from two-point shots. Uh, so a lot of isolation play. They get very uh, low assist rate to field goals made, ranking them 145th, and just as a comparison, Michigan State is 14th. So on defense, <laughs> we always expect them to be better, and they just have never been very good, and so this year's another example of that. Team's hitting 36% from three against them. They don't allow a ton of threes. They're 48th in limiting attempts, which helps, but still not very good as far as the percentage people are making. Uh, they've actually been pretty good against twos at number 55 with a 73rd block rate, uh, but unfortunately for them, they don't turn anyone over, and they're really terrible on the offensive or defensive glass at 197th. So it's really the three-point percentage against and then second-chance points is just crushing them on defense. And they also play very slow, uh, 314th overall, 304th in average length of offensive possession. So kind of the Buckeye team we've seen the last few years, they're pretty much the same this year, which is why Holtman's not around. <laughs> yeah, they just, you know, he he's done it. He's tried to do it different ways. And it's just the same problem always kept cropping up, which was an inability to defend well enough to win. They're off, offensively, they've been good enough, generally speaking, The la, even the last couple of years. 
uh, where they have not been tournament teams. I'm going to assume they're not a tournament team this year. <laughs> yeah. uh, that um, they've been good enough offensively, certainly to be that to be a tournament team. But it's the defense, you know, sub 100 stuff in the Big Ten is really bad. Yeah, and they'd be viewed even worse if it wasn't for Iowa and Michigan. You know, but there are a lot of years, there are a lot of years where Ohio State's ranking would qualify them as the worst in the conference, you know, so it it should be understood they've been bad. You know, offensively, I mentioned the style perspective because we, we don't always talk about this, but Ohio State is kind of a more extreme team, you know, within the Big Ten, you tend to see teams, a lot of teams at least, play some version of the way Michigan State plays, like right. Iowa does as well, where yeah. there's a, they pass the ball, they share the ball, they're moving the ball to, to try to um, create a good shot opportunity, right? That's not Ohio State. Now, sometimes that style can work. If you look at Illinois, when we, talk, we spent some time talking about this around the two matchups with the Illini this year, they're a point guardless team. And so that looked to me like it would be a real issue. One way they've mitigated that is to really lean in heavily to NBA style isolation basketball. So by that, what I mean is they run enough offense to try to force enough switches in the defense that they get a favorable matchup. And then that player who's got a matchup advantage just goes to work yeah, and tries right. to make a play. And and that can be effective. And it's been effective for Illinois this year. But it's a it's a particular style of basketball. It doesn't require or lead to a lot of assisted made field goals. And the problem with it is if you're running that where your players aren't as good or you don't have as many matchup advantages inherently as Illinois has, it can it can be an issue. And I think it's, even though Ohio State's offense is rated pretty well, um, I think that style of play is not ideal for them. I don't feel the same way I do watching Illinois, where I'm like, okay, this is what they've got to do. And they've actually got guys, when you look at, Terrence Shannon, or you look at, um, you know, Hawkins, all the guys they've got, it's an effective strategy for them because they've got guys that are capable of winning mismatches. I don't always feel that way watching Ohio State. Um, Some of it is that they're not as mature a team. You know, they've still got some younger guys. I mean, they're starting four sophomores and a a fifth-year senior. So it's a young team in general, mm-hmm. but I just don't feel it's worked quite as well for them. And so you look at them offensively, so what do they do really well? They shoot free throws really well, but they don't get there a ton, so I'm not sure how much of a strength <laughs> you could say that is. Yeah. It's really that they, they don't turn the ball over and they rebound well offensively. So what that means is they're getting extra possessions that way. You know, that's what's helped them more than looking at them and saying, well, they shoot the three very well. They're not a great deep shooting team. They're not a great team from two. They play very slow, so they don't do much in transition, like ever. Um, They don't draw a lot of fouls, so there's not a lot of obvious strengths. 
So I, I feel like, you know, the number is what it is overall, 35th. That's a solid, good offensive team. But I don't feel like I'm watching a juggernaut out there. Yeah. <laughs> and and I would also say this. While they've got some guys, as we're going to go through in a second, we're having good scoring seasons. What they don't have is they don't have a guy who quite rises to the level of some of the other guys they've had in recent years. So in the Holtman era, you think about guys like uh, EJ Liddell or uh, Malachi Branham or last year, before he got hurt at least, Bryce Sensabaugh. Yeah. Frequently, they had a guy who you just say, well, that guy can go get you 25 any given night mm-hmm. and just carry the offense. They've got some guys who score, so it's not that they're completely impotent there by any means, but they don't have that. And I think that's also part of it, too, why I, I feel like I, I don't think they're quite as good in terms of the way they feel to me that the numbers suggest, which I'll admit is a completely um, anti-scientific method to be <laughs> uh, employing here. But nevertheless, uh, defensively, you know, conversely, for a team ranked as badly as they are on defense, they do the one thing that you that you typically feel is a sign of a good defense and a, and something that's repeatable game to game. They do pretty well, which is they defend pretty well against twos. They just get completely undone by the fact they don't rebound well defensively, so they give up a lot of second chances. Um, they don't turn anybody over ever, so they're not getting advantages or stops that way. And they've just been blitzed by the three. Not in terms of attempts. They've done a decent job at at limiting attempts. But even having said that, you're limiting attempts, but you're still giving up a 36% success rate. You're going to have some problems. And they have. I admit I don't watch a whole lot of Ohio State basketball, but the few games I've seen, and then especially like the game at in the Big Ten tournament last year, I feel like Bruce Thornton certainly strikes me as a kind of guy who could run a an offense where you could have more assists and have less isolation. I mean, he seems like he's I agree. a decent distributor. And so it's it's unusual, I think, that they're not playing that way. He has, well, we're going to talk about it in a second. I mean, his his ratio is off the charts good. And he's been a good scorer this year. He's largely had the kind of year that I think people expected after after he really turned it up a notch late last season i think he's done most of what would have been expected but i'm with you it when you've got a guy who has that kind of ability it's strange to me that so often they devolve into just one-on-one iso basketball but if you watch them enough you'll see it they do yeah all right, well, let's go through this starting uh, starting lineup for the Buckeyes. Uh, this is brought to you by the Brothers Suggestion Gutters. I uh, just had <laughs> one of our listeners stopped one of the brothers in Detroit recently <laughs> and, and talked to him because he saw one in the wild. <laughs> so, uh, And uh, they came by, fixed a couple things, and right there in the spot. So pretty cool that we're able to connect people who do re- really great work on something that is so necessary, uh, things you don't think about got to work right you got to make sure the water's taken care of so anyway it's kind of cool that that you guys have seen the, the brothers that just gutters and their trucks are very recognizable so you'll recognize if you see it out in the wild so if you want to have got to work done either on the west side of the state or the east side uh, you can get estimate 10 percent off you mentioned final four you can find that 
connection at the final force on the schedule.com slash support there you can get links to that and all their other great sponsors uh and they sponsor the player that michigan state needs to keep in the gutter and after we go through the lineup rod will tell us who michigan state needs to keep in the gutter for this game on sunday i will begin with bruce horn who we were just talking about six two sophomore power point guard uh, he's been pretty good like you like we predicted he's averaging 16.4 points a game on 43 32 and 84 shooting with a four assists per game and a almost four to one assist to turnover ratio uh, and so this thing is he's just not quite as dialed into the three as they probably had hoped this season. That probably the only, I guess, knock against him from an offensive standpoint. Well, I think that's, you know, if you look at who gets talked about as the elite point guards in the conference this year, the first name on everybody's list has tended to be Boo Booey, and, and that's right. understandable. Uh, and then after that, you know, there's a drop-off and you get to – you know, you could talk about Smith at, at Purdue. Um, you know, there's there's a handful of Hawkins at Minnesota. There's a, certainly, when he's at his best, at least, A.J. Hogarth. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's a handful of other guys who get mentioned. But I think Thornton is a more consistent jumper away from being exactly that kind of player. Mm-hmm. Now, it's going to be interesting, you know, with the regime change that's coming, you know, if, if if you had Holtman still on board, and I'm not saying I think Chris Holtman should have kept his job. I, I've been talking about this for about four years. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm not and I, he seems like a decent guy and I don't think he's a terrible coach. It just it wasn't working. This is, yeah, you know, maybe for, it's been the wrong situation. Who knows what for what a program with Ohio State's potential was achieving it. It just wasn't good enough. But if they had Holtman coming back you would say, well, it's just really about keeping those fresh this year's freshman and sophomore classes intact and, you know, I'm bringing it back next year and seeing what that additional year of growth and development does for them, and you'd feel pretty good. But he's not around, so you don't know what the likelihood is of any of those guys coming back. And, you know, what's interesting is of – the four starting, the four sophomores that are starters, the only one who's a native of Ohio is Evan Mahaffey. We'll talk about in a minute. Uh, mm, the other three guys aren't Ohio kids. So the reason I mention that is there's less of an obvious reason for them to stick around. Sure. Now, I'm sure whomever the new coach is, is going to work diligently to try to keep them around, and that might work. But it would be a shame for Ohio State fans, I'm sure, if Bruce Thornton were to go elsewhere because I do think he's he's not only uh, a jumper away from being a first-team All-Big Ten caliber player. I think he actually has the potential as an upperclassman. It's not going to shock me if you see him as a guy that starts to get some All-American mention. I think right. he's very, very good. It's just the three is inconsistent. And so if that – he doesn't have to become a 40%-plus guy even. If he can just get into that mid to high 30s range, I think he becomes that much tougher to defend. And he does everything else extremely well offensively. He's an absolute bull. He reminds me physically of somebody like Mateen Cleaves. Yeah, I mean, right. you, do not, you do not see guys with his build at that position very often. And yet he's anything but a bull in a china shop in terms of his play style. You mentioned four to one assist to turnover ratio for a guy who has the ball in his hands as much as he does is crazy good. 
He's very efficient on twos. He can he can penetrate, get to the rim, and he's strong enough to finish. Um, shoots free throws well. I mean, there's a lot to like here. Moving on then to Roddy Gale, 6'4 sophomore, averaging 13.7 points a game on 45, 28, and 86 shooting, pulling down 4.2 rebounds a game. Uh, and, the, of course, the deep shooting has been a problem, uh, especially recently. He's shooting, what, 16% in Big Ten play. <laughs> so that's a real problem. Well, the Fortifying report on it, 16% in Big Ten play since conference play sure, since started the back the up on yeah. January 3rd. So that doesn't include the two games in December. But it's the bulk of the Big Ten season, and he's been god-awful shooting the ball. It's This is a disappointing one. Like, the scoring average is still good, but Roddy Gale was another guy, just like Thornton. That late-season run that they had, where they played better in the regular season, beat MSU, for example, um, uh, in the tournament, mm-hmm. uh, made a yeah. nice run in the Big Ten tournament. I think they won what? They won three games before they got beat? Yeah. Um they were, Roddy Gale was a big part of that. And there was every reason to think, all right, this is a guy on the come. He's a real weapon because he's a good athlete at 6'4". But if he gets the shooting dialed in, look out because he could really be tough to guard. And then, you know, early early in the season, it looked like the jumper was improved. But since the beginning of January, he just cannot buy a shot. Yeah. And that's a big limiter for him. I mean, if he can't hit threes at a better clip, the ceiling's very limited, uh, despite the scoring number, the scoring average, the ceiling is very limited as to how much he's really helping you. So he's still a guy with a vast amount of potential. I mean, again, if you told me next year he comes back and he's shooting 38% from three and he's averaging, you know, 17 points a night, I wouldn't be shocked. He's got that kind of ability, but it has not happened this year. Well, then we come to Jamison Battle, six-seven transfer from Minnesota, averaging 14.2 points a game and 5.1 rebounds a game, which is second in the team in both those categories, shooting 46, 44, and 94 uh, now that he's actually healthy. It is interesting because, you know, of course, he transferred from Minnesota, and now Minnesota, I mean, by every measure, is having a much better season than Ohio State, and if there's any team that has a chance to get in the tournament, they certainly have a better outside chance than Ohio State. Yeah, uh, Battle is my choice for the guy to keep in the gutter. And the and the reason that I say that is he is by far their best shooter. Yeah. And he is a guy, and if you watch him play, he's got a quick release. He's big, uh, so he can get his shot off against a lot of people. And he is a player who is capable. I, I said they, they've lacked that Sensabaugh, Branham, Liddell kind of scorer. And that's true. But Battle is a guy who can be a reasonable facsimile of that type of player on occasion. And so he would be my choice for the guy MSU has to keep in the gutter in this one. The shooting number, everything's come back for him. You know, last year, as you say, he had a rough year. Minnesota had a very rough year. Yeah. And Minnesota's better without him. But I don't, I honestly don't attribute that to addition by subtraction. No, it's just because he was injured, yeah. Because Battle was on the team the year before that, and I thought was really good. And even though Minnesota's record wasn't as good as it is this year, I thought they were similarly competitive with that mm-hmm. group. And Battle was a huge reason why. So 
offensively, man, he's a load. He is a good player because he's a, a very accurate shooter, and that's come all the way back. He had a rough year shooting the ball last year. I think a lot of it was health. Um, but that is not a problem now. He can also score at the rim, in the mid-range. He's a true three-level scorer, and he's a good rebounder as kind of sometimes playing the three, sometimes playing the four. Uh, what he is not is a good defensive player. <laughs> and so that's been an issue. But, hey, Ohio State obviously is going to ride with him because so, he contributes so much in the other phases of the game. Uh, then we come to Evan Mahaffey, 6'6", sophomore transfer from Penn State, uh, part of the big uh, exodus from the Nittany Lions at the, after Shrewsbury left. Uh, he's gotten into the starting lineup now just because of his kind of jack-of-all-trades kind of uh, way of playing, yep. glue guy, averaging five, a little over five points a game, a little almost five rebounds a game, not a great shooter, 48, 13, 65. Uh, so he's just kind of the guy who does everything else that other people don't do. <laughs> I I really like Mahaffey. I liked him last year as a freshman. He kind of came came out of the blue for Penn State, and I think ended up starting toward the end of the year. Uh, he was definitely playing a lot. Yeah, he might have been and, their big guy. <laughs> yeah, he was at times. He was yeah. absolutely playing the five for that team. Yeah. Um, this team, he's more of sometimes a three, sometimes a four. Uh, he's a native of Cincinnati, so this was kind of coming home for him to an extent. Uh, he's the one member of that sophomore class I mentioned a few minutes ago. It's actually from Ohio, even though he didn't start his career at Ohio State. But, you know, he's a guy, I think on a better team, you would look at him as, say, a fourth to sixth option. So either your fourth or fifth option or your sixth bad. Yeah. And on a good team, he would really be important because he's just – He's got versatility. He plays with a ton of energy, some toughness. He He's willing to do dirty work. Not the most skilled guy in the world, but, you know, still finds ways to contribute. I just think he's the kind of guy that every good team needs. He's not on a particularly good team right now, um, but that's not his fault. Yeah. <laughs> it certainly looked like they're going to be better when the season began. Uh, and finally, we come to Felix Okara. 6'11 sophomore, averaging a little under six points a game and a little over six rebounds a game and two blocks a game, shooting 60% from the floor, about the same from the line. Uh, still surprisingly limited, and it, I'm a little surprised just with those offense numbers that he's that he's able to manage to get the starting position, but of course just from defensively with he, what he can do inside the lane is I think probably what gives him the edge over the upperclassmen. Yeah, and, and as we said, the strength of this defense, such as it is, is that they've actually been pretty good against twos. Part of that is Opara giving them that rim protection. So not only the shots he blocks, but the ones he alters and just discourages from being taken. He's a he's a very effective player in that phase of the game. Offensively, you know, they understood coming in last year he was raw, and he's still raw. That doesn't mean he can't score, but it, it just means... He's not a guy you're going to throw the ball into on the blocks frequently, and and they don't do that. Um, still a guy with potential because he's a pretty good athlete for a guy his size. He has that defensive presence. He's proven to be an effective rebounder. Like the, the next step, if it happens, is going to be can he 
can he make that breakthrough to at least be a guy who maybe gives you a little bit of pick and roll production, mm -hmm. get you yeah. a few more putbacks, that type of thing. I don't know that I believe he'll ever be a great low post scorer, but there may be ways he can up his contributions as his career continues to develop. We'll move on to reserves then, and we'll start with Zed Key, the uh, aforementioned five who's been replaced by Okpara. 6'9", senior. Uh, he's actually lost a little bit of weight, slimmed down a bit, averaging 7.2 points a game and four rebounds a game in 16 minutes, shooting 53, 33, and 72. Uh, and this guy, uh, just feel for this kid. He's been injured, I feel like, his entire career at Ohio State. Like, as soon as he seems to get going, something else happens. And uh, Anyway, it'd be kind of interesting to know what would have been had he not been injured so much. Yeah, it's not been a problem this year. I mean, he's been healthy this year, and he got himself into great shape. So you give him give him credit for that. But you know, I mentioned this when we talked about Illinois and Dane Danger, and I'm going to bring it up again in regard to Key. He does remind me of Nick Ward, in that Zed Key is unquestionably a very talented low post scorer. He's got good footwork, can finish. Um, knows how to use his size to create space for himself. You know, all of those things are definitely in play with him. But he just struggles so much to defend in space that I think they came to a conclusion they were better off with less of him and more of Opara defensively. Now, you could say, well, it's not doing you much good. You're still 125th, right? But... <laughs> Um, I you know, it's been the way it's played out all season long. Last year, I do think his injury killed them. Yeah. He had a shoulder injury that just, it wasn't seen as bad enough until the very end of the year for him to sit out, but you would watch some play and it was inevitable. You could set your watch by it <laughs> in every game. There would be a moment where he would either be stretching out to try to corral rebound or he'd get hit on a pick on the shoulder. Something would happen. The shoulder would go out of joint, and he maybe would come back in, maybe not, and it really killed them. But Opara is a little better prepared this year to play, so the dynamic has been different. Zed Key is a, certainly still a guy on the right night. You know, he could put up 15, 16 points, and it wouldn't shock you. He just his minutes have been much more limited. Yeah. Well, and against Michigan State, I mean, defensively, he's not going to have to contend with somebody who's going to score much, I wouldn't think, outside of just the guards trying to get in the lane and scoring around him. Well, but I think that's a, the problem is, so in pick and roll, the problem oh, is sure. that it's, yeah. not just about, it's not just about defending the center. It's like, okay, they sent a good pick. Now you got to deal with Tyson Walker or you got to deal with A.J. Hogard. And he's going to struggle to do that anywhere close to the same level of power is. Then we'll get to Dale Bonner, 6'2", senior transfer from Baylor, averaging 4.4 points a game, uh, about a 2.5 to 1 assist turnover ratio. He's the backup point guard and shooting 32, 28, and 61. Yeah, they certainly hope for more on the shooting end of things. Um, he's capable in these other areas. He does a pretty good job running the offense when Thornton's out. Um, you know, defensively, I think they thought it's funny. There are a number of guys we we talked about some of Michigan's additions where 
the idea was, well, they came from good defensive programs at their previous stop, and they had good reputations as, in, as individual defenders, and yet it's been a disaster. Yeah. I wouldn't say Bonner's been a disaster, but he came from Baylor, where they typically have pretty good defensive teams. And I don't think he's made Ohio State better, let's put it that way. Next would be Devin Royal, 6'7 freshman, plays three and a four, uh, averaging a nine minutes a game, but recently he's been sort of the mid-teens. Uh, 3.3 points a game, a little under two rebounds a game, shooting 50, 17, and 59. And this is one that Misha State was definitely in on the recruitment quite a bit, I think, last year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was he was the priority to join uh, Booker and Fears. And then when he made the decision, he picked Ohio State over Michigan State. It, the belief was it came down to those two. That's when MSU got involved with Cohen Carr. Um, he was not playing very much and sometimes not at all earlier in the year. But his role has increased lately. And I've been pretty impressed with what I've seen. Those those averages you just reeled off, I don't think that's entirely reflective of what he is right now. I'm not saying I expect him to come in and put up 20 points, but he has started to show why he was so highly regarded. You know, Devin Royal is one of those guys, and I'm not saying he's 100% like this in terms of style of play, but his overall impact and uh, his positional, you know, kind of, hovering between being a three and a four it reminds me a little bit of somebody like raymar morgan uh-huh. um now he's not you know look raymar morgan was an impact guy immediately so i'm not trying to put them on the same level but that is that is kind of what i can see him becoming because i think he's physically tough he's smart he seems to be a smart player um and i think he's going to be even though he's not a superb athlete and he's not huge. You know, he's, again, 6'6". Six, six. He's put together, but he's not a huge guy. So he doesn't have any, not a not a super uh, dialed-in deep threat. But much like the way Raymar was able to take those kind of elements and still be a very important player for his team, I think Royal could be as well. Again, it'll be interesting, as with all these young guys we're talking about, Yeah, what happens. Right. You know, he's he's an Ohio kid. He's a Columbus area native, so you would think they've got a better chance to hold on to him, but who knows? Yeah, there's no way to know nowadays the internal dynamics of what's going yep. on, and who the next coach is, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, then we get to 6'5 freshman Scotty Middleton. Uh, he is uh, pl- averaging 3.8 points a game on 36, 38, and 47 shooting. Yeah, and he was a high, you know, this Ohio State recruiting class was right there with MSU's. Right. At the at the top of Big Ten classes in terms of how guys were rated. And Middleton was the guy. He was the highest rated guy. And he's kind of where Royal is. Similar spot where he wasn't playing consistently or at least not a lot of minutes for a good portion of the season. But lately, the role has increased. And you see, the, the shooting numbers are not that bad. The The one thing I would say is, before the season, there was talk that the reason Middleton would have a great chance to play a significant role was that he was unusually well-developed defensively for a freshman. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen a lot of evidence of that. <laughs> 
Not on this but team he's anyway. Still, he's a talented kid, though. Make no mistake. I mean, be it in Columbus or elsewhere, would not be a shocker to me at all to see him as a sophomore become a solidly double-digit scorer. And finally, uh, third member of that freshman class, Taysan Chapman, 6'4 wing, averaging a little under half a point a game and uh, is only one for 11 this season. He's, you know, he was hurt at different points and then hard to find traction. He has just really started playing minutes. He's not playing as much as the other two guys we just mentioned are, but he is starting to play more. I think he had nine minutes in their loss to Minnesota the other night. So um, he's another guy, you know, guard, six four guard, has not a point guard, but has some on-ball skills. They think could be a very good shooter in time. He just, you know, one for 11 <laughs> starting out. So there's some development to do. Rough start there, yeah. Yeah. All right, so then moving on to our squeegee squad of Grand Rapids, which makes you say player cleans the glass the best. Uh, again, if you need your windows cleaned out in the Grand Rapids area, whether you're uh, just your home, maybe your business, a high rise. They can do any job, big or small. They can come out and get a quick, quick estimate for you. You get 15% off if you mention rebound when you get in your estimate. Uh, they do a fantastic work. They can power wash your home. Whatever you need done, they can clean things up to make it look nice outside. And even in this weather, out this time of the year, they're out there working right now. So uh, you want to get a hold of them. You can find the ways to get an estimate at the final fours on the schedule.com slash support. And then you'll find the link to get an estimate. All right, so right now you've got a lead, I think, six to four and a half. Actually, I'm pretty impressed that I'm remembering these scores so far this season. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I think... Your choice. It's my choice yeah. this time. Yeah. Boy, it is becoming harder and harder <clears throat> to figure out what to do. I guess Malik seems to be the one who's been leading the charge and rebounds. and He's certainly getting the most minutes, and so that's, I think, why you're probably... He's probably the best choice. So I'll, I think I'm going to go with Malik Hall uh, as far Cap. as cleaning glass best. I'll, uh, I'll take Carson Cooper in this yep. one. I think he's a clear second choice right now as the way right as far now. as minute distribution but, is. But you know, it's it could be Jackson Kohler. It, sure. Yeah. Mahdi might have a game where he gets back on track. You know, anything's possible, but I'm gonna go with Cooper. Yeah, the one thing you'd say for Kohler is his rebounds per minute was pretty good. At least the the previous yep. game. Uh, against Iowa, I think he just had one rebound, so he didn't do much there. Right. So. All right. And then finally we go to the nudge printing. Keys five keys to the game for Michigan State victory. Uh, again, Nudge Printing is a place to get your Spartan apparel. They were instrumental in the shooting um, uh, recovery for the Spartan Strong effort after the shooting at Michigan State in last February. Uh, they were the ones who printed, I don't know, it was like 50,000 T-shirts or so. And so those people wearing those Spartan Strong, they were oftentimes printed by Nudge Printing. So Gabe and Brittany, wonderful supporters of Michigan State, great products, uh, all made in Michigan. Uh, so you want to check them out at nudgeprinting.com. 20% off, you mentioned Final Four. Just type that in as one word and the coupon code at checkout. All right, so the first key to the game, make them feel you. And obviously that was something that the Michigan State did not do against Iowa. Iowa never felt that Michigan State was on the floor. <laughs> right. And, you know, I, I've referenced this a couple times. I referenced it. It was on Jack Abling's show the other day. I think I referenced it in our post game. Yep. It's a lot. It's something that, when you see these clips of Panay Sewell giving the Lions, he's the guy who gives the pregame talk before they mm -hmm. hit the field to start the game. He says that frequently. And so what he means by that is play with physicality so that the other side actually knows you're there 
that you are having an impact on what they do so that they can't play freely, they can't get their confidence going, they can't get in a flow. All the things that Iowa was able to do very successfully on um, on Tuesday night, uh, we can't see Ohio State being able to do in this one if MSU wants to win. So, yeah, it's about focus and execution of the game plan. All those things are very important, too. But as much as anything else, I just want to see Michigan State with the kind of energy and toughness and physicality that we're used to seeing. Yeah. And it's easy to look at a team, 5-11 and 11 in the Big Ten. They're just their coach got fired. You can look past this team, and, I mean, obviously Michigan State's not the kind of team that just can roll the ball out there and, and beat you. They no. have to They no. have to play well. We saw that against uh-huh. Iowa, certainly. And, I mean, Iowa was probably better than we th- than you know maybe we thought, but it was mostly mm. Michigan State playing badly. Uh, but anyway, I mean, you know, this yeah. is this is a this is a potentially dangerous team. This is a team you just can't um, just ignore. So they got to come absolutely, out make, yeah, absolutely. So the second key to the game is not surprisingly the defensive glass, and so the one of the ways that Ohio State actually is efficient offensively is because they get second opportunities, even though they don't shoot yep. really great. Yep, and and that's going to be a key, as it always is for MSU, and as we've talked about many many times this year, they've tended to have more trouble against lesser opponents. Well, Ohio State is a pretty good offensive rebounding team. So MSU is going to need to bring that uh, that level of focus that fortunately they have been able to apply in several games where they've faced actually good offensive rebounding opponents. And it is so critical to what Ohio State does. You know, if you're making Ohio State just live and die with, you know, one-and-done possessions – you're going to be in pretty good shape, I think. Right. They're not right. a great shooting team. And the third key to the game, he's back on the list, AJ. Yeah, well, <laughs> this has been, I mean, you know, he played very, very well and was obviously instrumental in that Illinois win. But then you look right. at three games running now, Penn State, Michigan, both on the road, and then Iowa at home. This has not been anywhere close to where Michigan State needs him. So it's we go back to the same thing that's been understood, I think, all year long. Uh, he's not Michigan State's best player, but I will maintain until the moment he is no longer on the team, he is their most important. <laughs> he is the bellwether. When he doesn't play well, it is tougher for Michigan State to win. When he does play well, it's very difficult for Michigan State to lose. Yeah. No, I think we've for sure seen that. I mean, they're – I can't think of an instance where he's played well, where they haven't right. looked really good. Exactly. Name the game where AJ was fantastic and they didn't get it done. Yeah, I not mean, you too many. Say, of, not yeah. too many of them. You could say the second half of the last game, but of course they were already what thirteen points in the hole. He was coming out of the halftime. He was exactly down twelve, and it was a lot of it yeah. was on him. Yeah. All right. So fourth key to the game is battle. Yeah, and I mentioned this. You know, he's he's the guy I picked to keep in the gutter for a reason. It's because. I think he's, you know, Thornton is a very, very good player, and it won't shock me if he has a great game too, but Battle's the guy I worry about because most, because he's the one guy on an otherwise not great three-point shooting team that is just capable of going off. And I think he poses a challenge defensively for Michigan State. You know, if they have Malik Hall guard him, as I think they want to do, 
What that means is somebody, Jaden Akins, A.J. Hogarth, somebody is guarding Mahaffey. Now, Mahaffey is not a guy they look to to generate a lot of offense, but he would have a size advantage over yeah. whichever of those guys is playing against him. So it, it does create a little bit of an issue there, uh, potentially at least for Michigan State, you know, and, and that's something across the board. You know, if you're, let's say that you're, you know, ideally you'd like to have A.J. be capable of playing against Thornton, right? Because right. physically, AJ's got a chance mm-hmm. uh, to to deal with his strength. But then, what are you doing? What are you doing with Tyson Walker? Are you putting Tyson Walker on Roddy Gale? Well, he's given up four inches, mm-hmm. you know. And Jaden Akins has given up a couple of inches and some strength to Mahaffey. So there are some challenges for Michigan State in terms of the defensive matchups. But I do expect that we will see a lot of Malik call on battle. If for no other reason than I think they need to, they need to have somebody who physically can match up with him, and we know that Malik is is capable of executing as an individual defender as well. Because certainly Battle is just as comfortable scoring in the post as he is out of the perimeter. So if if you try and have someone smaller, and he's he's going to go yeah, inside, and he'll have that, he, he'll be comfortable in there. That and if you've got somebody who's given up four inches to him. He's just right. going to be able to get those threes off. Sure. You know, it, it's it's a lot tougher for a much smaller player to give an effective contest. And the fifth and final key to the game is dialing the deep ball. Uh, so, you know, Ohio State doesn't allow a lot of attempts, but they have poor percentages. So hopefully we get another 50% shooting effort from Michigan State, but a little better on the defensive end. <laughs> well, the the main reason I say this is Ohio State, has been pretty effective against twos. So, yeah, Michigan State needs to generate a balanced offense, as we always talk about. That's true. But I, my expectation will be they're not going to have an easy time the way they have in a lot of other games that weren't Iowa um, in terms of generating offense in the paint. So... I think that's going to mean, and the reason Ohio State has struggled is teams have really hurt them from deep. So Michigan State probably, I'm not saying they need to go 10 for 20, but they need to be productive from three. I think it's it's going to be important that they have, that they're able to hurt them to some extent. All right, and so a quick programming note. We are going to have Dom, who is the number one bracketologist in America. You might recall, if you're a longtime listener, that he was on last year as the number two bracketologist in America, and he has since become the number one bracketologist in America. So if you have a bracketology question, uh, why don't you send it in to me at eric at tffinots.com. Uh, then I can get him to him. Obviously, we're going to ask about Michigan State. We're going to ask him questions about the Big Ten in general. Uh, but if you have any other specific questions about other teams or something, uh, I'm more than happy to pass them along to Dom and have him answer those. He's... Very good, knows knows his stuff for sure. Uh, finally, the listener question segment of the show is brought to you by Element Zero Sugar Electrolyte Solution. Whether you need to rehydrate after working out or maybe getting too amped watching the Michigan State game, let me recommend Element. It provides needed sodium, magnesium, and potassium with all, all the sugar and calories you get from other sports drinks. Super simple. Just tear it up, uh, open it, throw it in a pack of 32 ounces of water. You're good to go. Lots of flavors to choose from. Uh, if you use the affiliate link on our support page at thefinalforceonschedule.com slash support, you can get a free variety pack with the purchase of anything, even if it's a variety pack. So check that out. And if you have a question you'd like answered, send it along as a text or even a voice memo to eric at tffinots.com. 
Today's question comes from Rafek David. In a recent loss to Iowa, Jackson Kohler played predominantly at the five position, having been rotated between the four and five positions since returning from injury. We know that Jackson has greater offensive potential than both Maddie and Cooper, with better skills in catching, securing the ball, passing, post-up play, and shooting. Additionally, defensively at the five, he appeared more engaged, making notable effort-related plays. Despite acknowledging his mobility, athleticism, limitations, especially in defense, what are your perspectives on Jackson's ongoing integration into the rotation, particularly at the five? Well, I, I, look, I've, I've been on record as being somewhat skeptical of the idea of him at the four. Mm-hmm. You know, last year he struggled mightily wherever you had him, and it was exclusively <laughs> at the five. So right. my thinking was, okay, let's, let's get him to a point he's functional as a five first. And then maybe we worry about, well, can he can he play out on the floor more? Can he handle a wider variety of opponents? The stuff that a four presents to you. I think he's he's played mostly at the five since coming back. And, you know, look, his productivity has been up and down. And of course, people are are disappointed with his inability to finish at the level you would expect but i think defensively he's been okay yeah i agree at the five i really do i can't think yeah he, he had some moments against iowa and he's had here <laughs> and there didn't? he might have had a moment <laughs> but right and and i i do think he's shown the potential to actually be functional as a five man now you know can you ever go beyond functional? Who knows? Sometimes they're, you know, a player as great as Cassius Winston never really got beyond functional defensively because he had some physical limitations, you know, but he was so good otherwise that that was good enough, you know, yeah. at different position, different responsibilities. But like that's the goal with Jackson Kohler. But I, I have to say, I'm at least encouraged to have seen those signs that he can he can potentially actually hang in there on the defensive end and you know offensively look the the skill level is there it is i mean i know he's been struggling to finish but the footwork he's got is beyond anybody they've had in a long long time but he's got to finish those plays yeah so i can't yeah, I mean, I, I will give him a pass for right now just because I think the shooting and the finishing is probably the last thing to come after coming back from injury and trying to yeah. get sort of... Th- because I think that was our feel last year, that it was all there except the speed of the game was a little too fast. You know, it hadn't slowed down yet for him. Yeah, and he wasn't, and he never he wasn't got, quite strong enough. Yeah, and, it just never know. got. he never got there last year because he just didn't get yeah. enough time and, you know, whatever. Right. And and now he's getting the time, so one would hope that we'll, we'll see it. And I would think we'd see that if it's going to show up, I think we're going to see by the end of the year. I'm assuming he continues to get... Yeah double-digit minutes in a game. Yeah. But I think it's open. You know, right now it's an open question because yep. you've got none of those three guys at the five have really, nobody seized it. Yeah, and, no one separated themselves. Yeah. And you do, you know, you do have, look, I, I am far from a proponent of a hefty percentage of the nonsense that I, and I'm being kind by calling it that. <laughs> that I see (laughs) perpetuated by people on social media about Xavier Booker's role. But at the same time, calling a spade a spade, you, it, it, it's accurate to say that he is playing 
steadily better of late. And I thought he was one of two guys, the only two guys, he and Holloman, that I thought had any right to feel good about what they did against Iowa. He had a couple of very good turns where he scored, he rebounded, he defended. He did all the things you need him to do. And while we talk about him, you know, mostly as the four, there's there's a chance that as we move into these latter stages of the season that, you know, and Izzo's already done it, the minutes he played against Iowa, I believe, were all at the five. Yes, so, they were. Yep. You don't rule that out either. So it's just right now it seems like it feels to be like it's a game-to-game, moment-to-moment thing at that yeah. spot. But there are as many as four guys factoring in there. It, I mean, it's going to come down to whoever wants to seize this, right? There, that There is opportunity yeah. not only at the five but at the backup four, right? Yeah. I mean, I th- it's yeah. not clear who that is. And, uh, you know, yeah. I think you look when you look to next year, year, you're saying, well, it's probably Booker. But I also wonder if we, I mean, we could maybe see a Kohler Booker on the floor at the same time. I mean, it's, it's you know, when Malik is out on the bench. I don't know. I'm just saying, you know, that's not a crazy thought that you may have mm-hmm. both those guys there. And what does that do to the offense, too? It'd be interesting to yeah. see what goes on. But I think we're going to see more of them until someone decides to separate, you know, and until then we're going to be just sort of guessing, also with rebounding. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, all right, so it's a Sunday afternoon game. Uh, I, we, there's a luncheon beforehand I get to go to, which is nice. It's going to have Steve Smith's going to be talking, so it'll be kind of fun to see him. I think he's doing a little extra dedication for under um, for his mom. I think for one of the Clarabelle, one of the facilities they have there is named after her. So, mm-hmm. anyway, uh, until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. <laughs>